sometimes it changes so rapidly and so quickly and different week to week sometimes. So. But anyway, we're going to do, uh, we're going to finish chapter one anyway. So today we'll be in James chapter one, we'll begin in verse 19. And uh, we're talking about being doers of the word. <clears throat> and you know, I, I think probably, uh, I, I thought about this, prayed about it a lot this week, and I really believe this is probably one of the most important passages in Scripture. Because so very, very often, um, people make professions of faith and they announce their Christianity, and, you know, and, and if it, um, of course, I don't know, sometimes I get outdone with church folks, because sometimes church folks are like, well, we shall see. We'll see. We'll see. And, and I don't think we should ever have that attitude. I think our attitude should definitely be that, yeah, they come to know Christ, and we need to lift them up and pray for them and encourage them and and work with them, do all we can to help them to live out that salvation. But, uh, you know, we can only do so much. And that person has to make that commitment to Jesus Christ that not only am I going to receive you as my Savior, but I'm going to receive you as Lord of my life. And that makes a difference. And that makes a difference between a doer and a hearer uh, of the Word. We're going to read this passage, and then we'll, we'll talk about it in a few minutes and try to get you out of here early today, if at all possible. So... Somebody probably has a birthday dinner today. I don't know, but they might. So. <laughs> I heard somebody had a birthday today. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Okay? <clears throat> Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and brighteth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Verse 27 says that pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So I want us to think about uh, this being a doer of the word. And here's the thing. Uh, he says in verse 22, that's going to be our key text, of course. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving them on themselves. And I want to tell you, verses 19 and 20 uh, could very easily uh, be a long, long sermon just in those two verses. Uh, but, but very quickly what it says is that every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. And, and I'm going to relate it this way, even though verse 22 comes later. Uh, verse 22 says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. And if we're going to be a doer of the word, we're going to be swift to hear. We're going to hear what the Holy Spirit has to say. We're going to hear what the Father has to say. We're going to receive that word. And then we're going to be slow to speak. We don't just uh, naturally... And, and you know... And I'm saying we're going to be quick to hear what the Spirit has to say. But let me tell you this. 
think it goes a little bit deeper when I when I read this and study it, and that was the whole context I went in with was that frame of mind that swift to hear the word of God, swift to hear what the Holy Spirit has to say, swift to hear encouragement from God, swift to hear God's word, so on and so forth. Well, when he says swift to hear, I think he's telling us to be swift to hear everything. If our brother or our sister has a, a fault or a problem or an issue and they choose to speak to us about it, be swift to hear. And the word literally means be very apt to listen, to hear what they have to say. And, uh, you know, sometimes we hear what we don't hear. Y'all hear me? <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Sure. We sometimes hear, and 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 then we just we just kind of like, well, okay. I, I don't believe you ever told me that. <laughs> yeah, it happens. Hey, uh, I'm gonna get into some marital issues there if I get careful on that. Uh, that's what that's what it is between husbands and wives a lot of times. Well, I don't believe you told me that. Yes, I told you that. No, you didn't tell me that. I, you, no, I don't remember that conversation. But guys, we need to be swift to hear. That means we need to be listening. We need to be hearing the words that others are sharing. And let me tell you this. Very often, people are not going to share with you the pain that they're going through or the trials that they're going through or the issues that they have. We have to listen, and we may hear it in their voice. We may hear it. This may sound a little weird. We may hear it in their actions. We may hear it in some of their reactions and some of those things. But we have to have our, our antennas up, if you will, and be listening to what's going on around us. Y'all look at me like I'm an alien or something. I, I promise I'm not an alien. I, I guarantee you, uh, you're going to have more times that you pick up on what's going on in someone's life by listening than you do uh, by, by waiting and, and, you know, and, and speaking to them. Just listen. Swift to hear. Swift to hear. Slow to speak. Uh, we need to be very careful. I know sometimes when I speak too quickly, I speak wrong, and uh, quite often. Uh, you know, we have to be careful. Swift to hear, slow to speak. And, and the word literally means that we, we digest the words. Bill Gothard uh, used the term that we ruminate on the Scripture. We need to be like cattle. You know, cows are ruminants. They, they eat their food, and they belch it up, and they eat it again. They belch it up, and they digest it again. They do this over and over until they have gotten all the nutrients out of everything that they eat. And so we need to be like that. We need to be hearing what's said, hearing what's going on around us, hearing the word, hearing the, the heart and the pain and, and the suffering, the sorrow, and, and even the good things that are going on in someone's life around us. And then we need to be digesting that and, and taking it in and praying over it. And, and hey, we don't need to be so quick to speak sometimes because oftentimes when we speak in haste, uh, you know, we, we speak waste. We speak words that we probably shouldn't have spoken. And then the third thing he says is that we should be slow to anger. Slow to wrath is the word King James literally uses, but it means to anger or to lose our temper. Slow to lose our temper. How quick do we lose our temper usually? <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. In case you couldn't hear it on Facebook, it was a snap of a finger. You know, just like that. And it, it's so amazing that you can be in the middle of a conversation and everything can be going great, and all of a sudden, boom, it changes just like that. Anybody ever experienced that? Okay, this is a hunt. This is a Okay? So I'm the only one that ever experienced that, right? No. No, it happens. And, and we're like, well, you know, how does it happen so fast? 
I think we're 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 not digesting what we're hearing. We're just letting it flow in there, and and we're we're hearing it, and then we're quick to speak, and we, and therefore we're quick to anger. So I think sometimes we run on our own efforts and on our own resources, and we do not rely upon the Holy Spirit of God. And I believe that's part of what happens to us. Uh, and then he says this in verse 20, The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And a very little translation of that, of one commentator said this, and I thought it was a really good uh, explanation. He said, Anger is not the way to arrive at the justice God demands. Anger is not going to bring us to the justice that God demands. Brokenness is going to bring us to the justice that God demands. And guys, if I understand Scripture correctly, when I read the Scripture, uh, it says that the brothers overtaken in the fault, that we go to Him in the spirit of what? Of meekness and in love. So literally what that means is if, if I have somebody that's, uh, that's broken, I should be broken with them. If I have somebody that's rejoicing, I should be rejoicing with them. We seem to have that twisted. Sometimes uh, we, get, we get rejoicing at somebody else's brokenness. And that's just wrong. Sometimes we get uh, we get angered at somebody else's rejoicing because you know that should be my rejoicing or that should be my reward or that should be my blessing and not theirs. Uh, I'm telling you, you got to be very careful of those things. The, the man's wrath does not work the righteousness of God. And so then he gives us some more instruction in verse 21. He says, "Lay away all filthiness and superfluity." And I used to pronounce that wrong. I call it superfluity. Superfluity. Of naughtiness. What does that literally mean? Anybody have a different translation? It says something different. Verse 21. Superfluity is a superabundance. It's a whole lot of it. Okay? Evil excess. Evil excess. Okay. Alright. Uh, and that's literally what it says. And, and if you go to Webster's Dictionary and you look up the word filthiness, let me ask you first, what does filthiness mean? Put away all filthiness. Righteousness. Righteousness? Okay. Unrighteousness. Unrighteousness is the opposite there. The opposite of righteousness, you're right. Um, you know, my first thought when I see that word filthiness is somebody need to take a bath. Clean up, right? And literally, that's, that's the whole implication. The whole picture is that we... We put away the filthiness, we cleanse ourselves, and we don't do it on our own. We do it through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the blood of Jesus. So it's, it's uh, and Webster's Dictionary literally says that filthiness is gross moral corruption. Gross moral corruption. And it literally means massive moral corruption. Or perhaps moral corruption as a lifestyle. And guys, morals are, are being lost. In our world today, uh, I think we talked about that a little bit last week, and I won't, I won't go too deep into it again. But I'm just telling you, if we if we become a society without morals, we become a society that, that has nothing. We don't have any morals. We have nothing, and people can say what they want, but I'm going to tell you, morals don't come from your environment. Morals come from the Word of God and from the presence of God, from the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's where morals come from. So we need to we need to encourage strong morals. Put away all filthiness, that that moral corruption, and then put away the superabundance of badness. And and when he says that that superfluity of naughtiness, uh, is there a difference between filthiness and naughtiness? 
Uh, I think all, <laughs> it's kind of, kind of this way, I think all naughtiness is filthiness, but all filthiness may not be naughtiness, I don't know. Uh, but, but probably they're both the same. <clears throat> but if you look at the Greek word for naughtiness, if you go to a Greek glossary of New Testament terms and look at the Greek word for naughtiness, there's a word that I found in that definition that kind of spoke to me, and that word is malignity. What's the first thing you think of if, if somebody says malignant? Cancer. Because that's where we hear that word all the time. We hear the, the term that somebody has cancer, and our first thought is, is it malignant or is it benign? Is it malignant or is it benign? Why is that important? That's exactly right. If it's malignant, that means that it, it has the potential to kill, right? It has that potential to grow and develop and just grow rapidly even perhaps. And that's literally the word, that word uh, uh, naughtiness is malignant. To, to get rid of all the superbugs of badness, it's a malignancy of badness. And what happens is that badness just continues to grow and to fester. It's just like a malignant tumor or a malignant cancer. It eats away and it eats away and it eats away and it takes away and it takes away. And finally it consumes you. And guys, if we don't get rid of that, that filthiness and that naughtiness and that, that immoral lifestyle, it overtakes us. And it, it keeps us from entering into the kingdom of heaven. Only one thing can keep us from going into heaven, and that is not having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I think what he's telling us is that if we have this kind of lifestyle, we may consider ourselves to have heard the word of God, but if we are not doers of the word, we're going to be consumed of the evil that's in the world. It's going to happen. Sometimes I see people that are struggling with their faith, and they're they're consistently saying, well, you know, I, I try and I try and I try and it seems like I just can't, I can't live that Christian lifestyle. I, I try and I just fail every time. Well, let me tell you this. Sometimes we try so hard to be good, we fail to follow the rules, if that makes any sense. Where should we begin? If we want to live a good lifestyle, where should we begin? Begin with God, absolutely. We begin with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and once we've uh, accepted Christ as our Savior, we've heard his, his plea, his cry out to us to receive him. And when we receive him, then where do we go? We go to the Word. And we have to spend time in the Word. And if we don't spend time in the Word, we cannot expect to live a Christian life. We can't do it. It's the instruction book. I'm telling you, men, we're, we're the world's worst. And ask any woman in the room and they'll tell you, that we, we get the toys and we get the, the equipment and we get the things and we start to put it together and we wonder where all these parts go and then we go back and read the instructions. <laughs> and then we figure out, oh, I put some of this stuff together. That's got to change. Let me tell you all something. And none of this is, you know, it's, it's a minor thing to you and, and it is to me as well. But uh, Charlotte bought some puzzles for Christmas. You know, one of those things that we can do as a family is put a puzzle together. I'm not getting much family participation, but uh, anyway, Jared started one of them on Christmas Day, and he said, oh, this thing's too hard, I ain't doing that. So I picked up where he left off. In fact, he took it all apart, put it back in the bag, and I dumped it out, and I thought, well, we're going to get this thing. Beautiful picture of a horse with some, you know, flowers and different things. And I start putting it together, and I'm thinking, this is going pretty good. This is going and then I lined up with these parts. And I'm like, I got holes, and I got parts, but the parts don't fit those holes. What do you do with the puzzle with the parts don't fit? <laughs> What's it take? Messed up somewhere. Something's out of place. I guarantee you. 
And, and, and I kept telling Charlotte, I kept saying, you know, in fact, I got to the point that I was down to four pieces left. And I kept working, but then I got down to two pieces left. And I said, they're just not going to go. They're not going to go. And I said, give me a bag. I'm taking this thing apart and put it back, put it back in the bag and forget it. She said, oh, no, you come this far. So she sits down and works with it a little while. And she says, I don't mind. I can't get it. I can't figure it out. So, <laughs> yeah, that made this puzzle wrong. They cut that piece out from what they did. You know, I guarantee you it wasn't my fault. It had to be theirs. No. <laughs> Very seriously, though, I kept looking. I kept thinking, well, that, you know, I just don't know. I'm not comfortable with that. So I took this piece out. And I started reworking it. And guess what? Got it put together. And now I don't want to take it apart. Because <laughs> somebody's going to do it again. It's going to be tough. So, you know, I'm feeling pretty good now. I'm feeling pretty spunky. So I pull out another one and start. And I'm like, this one was 300 pieces, and it was round. You ever put together a round puzzle? I mean, a round puzzle is more difficult than a square puzzle. It is to me. And uh, so I thought, well, this one's going to be square, so we'll get a little better. But it's got 500 pieces. And I started on it. I worked on it about four hours, and I bet I've got 15 pieces put together. I'm doing good. I'm back a thousand. If you want something to occupy your time, get you a puzzle. Let's cut it in little bitty pieces. And, and you know, and, and I get paid, oh my soul. Charlotte and I were shredding the pieces out, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm looking for straight edges. And, and I promise you, there's not enough straight edges in that box to, to fit around a 500 piece puzzle. But we'll, we'll find them eventually, I guess, when I pull them out in the middle or something. And, and who, who puts a straight edge piece of a puzzle in the middle of a puzzle? Who does that? Puzzle manufacturers, that's a joke. Evil person, that's right. They didn't get rid of that superfluity of novice and novice that they had. But let me tell you, you know, it, it, it's, and, and I tell you that story to tell you this, you know, you sometimes you think you're putting life together and it's going together pretty good and all of a sudden you got this piece left over and it's like, ah, it doesn't fit. And maybe we have to take some things apart and to dismantle some things to get everything to fit back together. If we read the instructions ahead of time, it sure does help. You know, and, and still we're going to make mistakes along the way. But let me tell you this, because, because our faith and trust is in Him, we can make it through to the end. That's what I get excited about. And yeah, I know I'm telling you about my shortcomings. I mean, I, I didn't get angry. I was just like, mm, I'm done with it. Mm -hmm. I, I don't work on that thing. When did I finish it, Charlotte? Friday? New Year's Day, I finished it. Started Christmas Day, I finished it New Year's Day. It took me a whole week to put together a 300-piece puzzle. Didn't work on it every day, but still. I don't know how long this time I'm going to take. I'll tell you about it in a month or two, maybe. <laughs> anyway, we'll see. But guys, here's the thing. We, we have strength, we have endurance because we have the Holy Spirit of God. We have the Holy Spirit because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, there are those who have heard the word and they, they responded by, by walking down the aisle, shaking hands with the preacher, and going through baptismal waters, but, but has their life been changed? That's the real question. Do we, do we really know Jesus Christ? And again, it's a doer of the word, not just a hearer only. Okay? Tells us to put away those things. And then he makes one more statement in verse 21. Lay apart all filthiness and superfluity and naughtiness, and receive. It's two action verbs in that, in that sentence. Lay apart all this stuff. And then he says, and receive. Now what if I decide I'm going to lay apart all this stuff? This, this is still New Year's week, right? Uh, it's our first Sunday of the New Year, so we can talk about New Year's resolutions and things. A couple weeks ago I asked you, 
what's uh, made of last Sunday, what's, what's the number one New Year's resolution people make? Lose weight. Lose weight, absolutely. I am not going to ask for a show of hands, but I, just a thought. How many of you decided, I'm going to lose weight this year? But do that. Yes, yeah, see, I'm afraid of that one. I did that last year, and I've gained 20 pounds since then, so, uh, you know, I'm not going to make that resolution again. I promise you that. I do it. <laughs> I need to be a doer, not a hearer, right? Yeah, you're exactly right. Take, listen to your own sermon, preacher. That's exactly right. I appreciate you, brother. But, but see, here's the problem. We decide we're going to do that, and, and we, just, we just magically want it to happen. I, I don't know about y'all. I'll be 100% honest with you. I want something where I can eat anything I want to eat, anytime I want to eat, eat as much as I want to eat, and still not gain weight. Or maybe I can lose some weight while I'm doing that. That would be great, wouldn't it? Yeah. And I, you know, I know you guys have faces looking. Do y'all see all that stuff too that comes through? And, and they're like, you know, take this pill once a day and, and eat what you want. You know, have that body that you've always wanted. And I'm like, I don't care about that body I've always wanted. I just want to get rid of that belly I never wanted. That's what I want. Oh, and here's the greatest. i got to tell you this. I know I've gotten off track, but it, it, it still kind of has to do with doing and hearing. My son posted this the other day. I think he did it just for my benefit. There's a picture of a guy with a side profile, and I will turn to the side because he's a little bit bigger than me, I think, but I'm not sure. We'll talk about that man in the mirror in a minute. And, uh, you know, He's a great big guy. He's got a big belly. And so he's out of some tribe in maybe Ethiopia or something. Any of y'all see that? Okay, it says in this tribe, the most desirable men are those who have the biggest bellies. And that's what it says. I'm like, what? Wow, ain't that something? And then the bottom of it, do what? No, he said it to me. <laughs> And then on, on the bottom, the caption says, so it's not that you are fat, it's just you were born into the wrong tribe. <laughs> How about that? You got to love him. I'm telling you, you got to love him. He said it to me. And he said, Dad, I, I thought me and you both could use that. So, you know, it's kind of exciting. Kind of, kind of uplifting your spirits a little bit when your son tells you you're fat. When you're born into the wrong tribe. So, so that's not you saying, I'm not fat, I'm just born into the wrong tribe. So... But anyway, he says that we, we not only uh, do we leave these things or lay apart these things, and the word lay apart literally means to leave behind or to walk away from, but he says that we have to receive. Now, I'm going to tell you this. If we, if we start to, um, uh, you know, and I hear people all the time complain about this. I know folks that, and, and listen, I'm not picking on anybody, I don't mean to, but I've I, I had good friends that decided they're going to quit smoking. And they started dipping. And I'm like, are you really doing much better by dipping than you were by smoking? You know? And I know one affects the lungs, the other affects the mouth, and other organs, and so on and so forth. But nonetheless, it's, it's kind of the same family. I've had others that, that, that say, you know, I quit smoking one time and I gained 30 pounds. And I said, you know, I quit smoking and started eating. So we're replacing the habit. But, but if, we, if we try to give up something and we don't fill that slot with something constructive, it's going to come back. It's going to come back. I'm just telling you. You know, uh, I, I, and I still say I'm going to do this sometimes. And Tony shakes his head at me, and Charlotte shakes her head at me, tells me, don't do it. I keep saying I'm going to do that lemonade fast again and drop that 25 pounds in about a week, you know, in 10 days, something like that. 
And I've done it before, and it felt pretty good about it. But guess what? It comes right back just like that because I don't change my lifestyle. I don't change the way I eat. I don't watch what I eat and those kind of things. Pretty good jump start, but you got to make some changes. You know, what about the guy who says uh, uh, whatever his job is, he spends every penny he makes, doesn't save anything, and then he gets a good promotion, gets a good raise, and says things are going to be better. You know what he does? He just continues to spend more and more and still doesn't save anything unless he makes some lifestyle changes. And guys, I'm going to tell you this. In our, in our Christian walk, there have to be lifestyle changes. We not only give Jesus Christ our heart, we give him our life. And we allow the Holy Spirit to move in and to change things in our life. Receive with meekness. Receive with meekness. And that word meekness is simply humility. Recognizing. Humility means that I recognize I cannot do it on my own. Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Very literal translation which is able to seal your soul. Not only to save you, but to seal you. To seal your soul against the things of the world. Then he says, 22, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. If any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's likened to a man beholding his natural face in the glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. You know, when we look at ourselves in the mirror, it's actually a reflection of who we are, right? And, and what we look like and so forth. And, and I don't see myself as that bad. I don't see myself as that big. I don't see myself as that many issues, that many problems. Uh, you know, we, we feel pretty good about ourselves sometimes. But listen, if, if all we're concerned about is our appearance, we got a problem. we got a problem. We've got a problem. I want you to know that there are so many folks in the world today who profess to be born-again Christians who have painted on the image and have not had a change of heart. Does that make sense? They've painted on the image of being a believer, but they've not had a change of heart. They, they, they've heard the word, but they're not doing the word. What does it mean to be a born-again believer? Okay, we can begin with, uh, if I ask you that question, if I ask someone the question, what does it mean to be a born-again believer? What are they going to tell me? It means I trust that Jesus Christ is going to save you, right? What else does it mean? It should mean that I no longer live for myself, but I live for Christ, who died for me. It should mean that I no longer uh, live in Ricky's world, but I live in Jesus' world, and his world says that I reach out to the lost and try to win them to Christ. I reach out to those in need and try to help them. Verse 27 says that I visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep myself unspotted from the world. That's what it means to really be born again. That we recognize and to visit the fatherless and the widows is definite, definite, straightforward commands that we are to take care of as believers. We're to take care of the orphans. We're to take care of the widows. We're to meet their needs and help them with their needs and so forth. But listen, we're also to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. Okay? Now, doesn't mean I can do a bunch of good deeds over here and take care of a bunch of people's needs and do whatever I want to do and everything's all right. It's, it's a whole package, if you will. Okay? 
that I, I, I visit the widows and orphans, I take care of their needs, and I keep myself unspotted from the world. And the only way to do that is through a daily, consistent walk with Jesus Christ. Consistent, consistent, consistent. We can't take the miss. And I, I, I don't like to be offensive, but I, I like to tell the truth, and I'm going to speak the truth generally. Uh, you know, guys, I, I'm just telling you, churches are full. I believe pulpits are full of people who who talk a good game and who uh, put up a good front. The facade is there, but the soul is missing. I don't know if I'm saying that right or not. The bones missing, you know. Uh, we, we cannot when, when I, I look at myself in the mirror I'm not comparing myself to anyone else I'm comparing myself to myself and we tend to look at our life the same way I look at my life and I say well I'm not such a bad person I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't do this and I don't do that I'm, I'm not such a bad person it's not about that you see what we have to compare ourselves to and that's what he talks about is, is uh, in verse 25. Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. And, and by the way, I want you to notice something very specific. This verse has been misquoted again and again and again. Verse 25. Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of what? Of the work. Of the work. It's been quoted as a doer of the word. And he should be a doer of the word. But I want you to know something. If we're going to be a doer of the word, we're going to put our hand to the plow and we're going to work with the word. We're going to work the word. We're going to live that life that God has laid out before us. We're going to walk that walk that he's given us to walk. We're going to talk that talk that he's given us to talk. We're going we're gonna to do those things that he's laid out before us to do. Okay? But he's saying, and he continued there again, he may not forget me here, but a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. In his deed. So, we're in one of two places. We either look in the mirror and we compare ourselves to ourselves, or we look into the law of God and we compare ourselves to God's word. And how do I measure up? How do I fit in? You know, where am I in that puzzle that God's laid out before us? Where do I fit in? Am I in the right place? Am I doing what God wants me to do? Am I, you know, the person that God wants me to be, the man he wants me to be, the woman he wants me to be, the husband he wants me to be, the wife he wants me to be, the, the daughter, the son, the father, the mother? Am I the person that God wants me to be? Hey, guys, I'm going to tell you, it's so very, very easy to let all the way to the world come in and, and you begin to, I don't know, I don't use the word scramble. We begin to scramble around and try to figure out what we need to do and how we need to do it. Next thing you know, we got all this pressure and all this stress, and, and we're, we're like a, a ticking time bomb waiting to explode. And sometimes it don't take but one word, and boom, there we are. Again, I go back to the first part, go around verse 19, which he said what? Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow. To anger, slow to wrath, slow to wrath, slow to get angry. Okay, so we're going to close with that. And I want to encourage you that as believers, we should be doers of the word. We should be uh, those that, verse 22 says, doers of the word. 
And verse 25 says, doer of the work. If we're going to be doers of the work, we're going to be doing the work that God has laid out before us. So I want to ask you this, this morning to kind of examine yourself and see where you stand uh, with the Lord. And how is your life and what's going on in your relationship with Christ? Uh, are you a hearer? Are you a doer? Are you a hearer that does? <laughs> okay? We should hear the word and then we should do what he's called us to do. Do we have our invitation? Let's ask you to be obedient to the Holy Spirit.